Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms/audiobook. The Secret Rose by W. B. Yeats To the Secret Rose The Crucifixion of the Outcast A man, with thin brown hair and a pale face, half ran, half walked, along the road that wound from the south to the town of Sligo. Many called him Cumhal, the son of Cormac, and many called him the Swift, Wild Horse, and he was a gleeman, and he wore a short party-colored doublet, and had pointed shoes, and a bulging wallet. Also he was of the blood of the Urnans, and his birthplace was the field of gold, but his eating and sleeping places were the four provinces of Eri, and his abiding place was not upon the ridge of the earth. His eyes strayed from the abbey tower of the White Friars and the town battlements to a row of crosses which stood out against the sky upon a hill a little to the eastward of the town, and he clenched his fist, and shook it at the crosses. He knew they were not empty, for the birds were fluttering about them, and he thought how, as like as not, just such another vagabond as himself was hanged on one of them, and he muttered, if it were hanging or bowstringing, or stoning or beheading, it would be bad enough. But to have the birds pecking your eyes and the wolves eating your feet, I would that the red wind of the druids had withered in his cradle the soldier of Dathy, who brought the tree of death out of barbarous lands, or that the lightning, when it smote Dathy at the foot of the mountain, had smitten him also, or that his grave had been dug by the green-haired and green-toothed marrows deep at the roots of the deep sea. While he spoke, he shivered from head to foot, and the sweat came out upon his face, and he knew not why, for he had looked upon many crosses. He passed over two hills and under the battlement gate, and then round by a left-hand way to the door of the abbey. It was studded with great nails, and when he knocked at it, he roused the lay brother who was the porter, and of him he asked a place in the guest-house. Then the lay brother took a glowing turf on a shovel, and led the way to a big and naked outhouse strewn with very dirty rushes, and lighted a rush candle fixed between two of the stones of the wall, and set the glowing turf upon the hearth, and gave him two unlighted sods and a wisp of straw, and showed him a blanket hanging from a nail, and a shelf with a loaf of bread and a jug of water, and a tub in a far corner. Then the lay brother left him and went back to his place by the door. And come how the son of Cormac began to blow upon the glowing turf that he might light the two sods and the wisp of straw, but the sods and the straw would not light, for they were damp. So he took off his pointed shoes and drew the tub out of the corner with the thought of washing the dust of the highway from his feet, but the water was so dirty that he could not see the bottom. He was very hungry, for he had not eaten all that day. So he did not waste much anger upon the tub, but took up the black loaf, and bit into it, and then spat out the bite, for the bread was hard and moldy. Still he did not give way to his anger, for he had not drunken these many hours. Having a hope of heath beer or wine at his day's end, he had left the brooks untasted, to make his supper the more delightful. Now he put the jug to his lips, but he flung it from him straightway, for the water was bitter and ill-smelling. Then he gave the jug a kick, so that it broke against the opposite wall, and he took down the blanket to wrap it about him for the night. But no sooner did he touch it than it was alive with skipping fleas. At this, beside himself with anger, he rushed to the door of the guesthouse, but the lay brother, being well accustomed to such outcries, had locked it on the outside, 
So he emptied the tub and began to beat the door with it, till the lay brother came to the door and asked what ailed him, and why he woke him out of sleep. What ails me, shouted Cumhal, are not the sods as wet as the sands of the three rosses? And are not the fleas in the blanket as many as the waves of the sea and as lively? And is not the bread as hard as the heart of a lay brother who has forgotten God? And is not the water in the jug as bitter and as ill-smelling as his soul? And is not the footwater the color that shall be upon him when he has been charred in the undying fires? The lay brother saw that the lock was fast, and went back to his niche, for he was too sleepy to talk with comfort. And Kumhal went on beating at the door, and presently he heard the lay brother's foot once more, and cried out at him, O cowardly and tyrannous race of friars, persecutors of the bard and the gleeman, haters of life and joy! O race that does not draw the sword and tell the truth! O race that melts the bones of the people with cowardice and with deceit. Gleeman, said the lay brother, I also make rhymes. I make many while I sit in my niche by the door, and I sorrow to hear the bards railing upon the friars. Brother, I would sleep, and therefore I make known to you that it is the head of the monastery, our gracious abbot, who orders all things concerning the lodging of travelers. You may sleep, said Kumhal. I will sing a bard's curse on the abbot. And he set the tub upside down under the window, and stood upon it, and began to sing in a very loud voice. The singing awoke the abbot, so that he sat up in bed and blew a silver whistle, until the lay brother came to him. I cannot get a wink of sleep with that noise, said the abbot. What is happening? It is a gleeman, said the lay brother, who complains of the sods, of the bread, of the water in the jug, of the foot water, and of the blanket. And now he is singing a bard's curse upon you. O brother abbot, and upon your father and your mother, and your grandfather and your grandmother, and upon all your relations. Is he cursing in rhyme? He is cursing in rhyme, and with two assonances in every line of his curse. The abbot pulled his nightcap off and crumpled it in his hands, and the circular brown patch of hair in the middle of his bald head looked like an island in the midst of a pond, for in Connaught they had not yet abandoned the ancient tonsure for the style then coming into use. If we do not somewhat, he said, he will teach his curses to the children in the street, and the girls spinning at the doors, and to the robbers upon Ben Bulban. Shall I go, then, said the other, and give him dry sods, a fresh loaf, clean water in a jug, clean foot water, and a new blanket, and make him swear by the blessed Saint Benignus, and by the sun and moon, that no bond be lacking, not to tell his rhymes to the children in the street, and the girls spinning at the doors and the robbers upon Ben Bulban? Neither our blessed patron nor the sun and moon would avail at all, said the abbot, for tomorrow or the next day the mood to curse would come upon him, or a pride in those rhymes would move him, and he would teach his lines to the children, and the girls, and the robbers. Or else he would tell another of his craft how he fared in the guesthouse, and he in his turn would begin to curse, and my name would wither. For learn there is no steadfastness of purpose upon the roads but only under roofs and between four walls. Therefore I bid you go and awaken Brother Kevin, Brother Dove, Brother Little Wolf, Brother Bald Patrick, Brother Bald Brandon, Brother James and Brother Peter. And they shall take the man, and bind him with ropes, and dip him in the river that he shall cease to sing. And in the morning, lest this but make him curse the louder, we will crucify him. The crosses are all full, said the lay brother. Then we must make another cross. If we do not make an end of him another will, 
for who can eat and sleep in peace while men like him are going about the world? Though should we stand before blessed St. Benignus, and sour would be his face when he comes to judge us at the last day, were we to spare an enemy of his when we had him under our thumb? Brother, the bards and the glee men are an evil race, ever cursing and ever stirring up the people, and immoral and immoderate in all things, and heathen in their hearts, always longing after the son of Lyre, and Angus, and Bridget, and the Dagda, and Dana the mother, and all the false gods of the old days, always making poems in praise of those kings and queens of the demons, Finveraf, whose home is under Krakma, and Red Odd of Naknasidhi, and Klina of the Wave, and Aabhel of the Grey. Rock, and him they called Don of the Vats of the Sea, and railing against God and Christ and the blessed saints. While he was speaking he crossed himself, and when he had finished he drew the nightcap over his ears, to shut out the noise, and closed his eyes, and composed himself to sleep. The lay brother found Brother Kevin, Brother Dove, Brother Little Wolf, Brother Bald Patrick, Brother Bald Brandon, Brother James and Brother Peter sitting up in bed, and he made them get up. Then they bound come how, and they dragged him to the river, and they dipped him in it at the place which was afterwards called Buckley's Ford. Gleeman, said the lay brother, as they led him back to the guest house, why do you ever use the wit which God has given you to make blasphemous and immoral tales and verses? For such is the way of your craft. I have, indeed, many such tales and verses well nigh by rote, and so I know that I speak true. And why do you praise with rhyme those demons, Finveraf, Red Odd, Kleena, Aabhel, and Don? I, too, am a man of great wit and learning, but I ever glorify our gracious abbot, and Benignus our patron, and the princes of the province. My soul is decent and orderly, but yours is like the wind among the Sally Gardens. I said what I could for you, being also a man of many thoughts, but who could help such a one as you? Friend, answered the gleeman, my soul is indeed like the wind, and it blows me to and fro, and up and down, and puts many things into my mind and out of my mind, and therefore am I called the swift, wild horse. And he spoke no more that night, for his teeth were chattering with the cold. The abbot and the friars came to him in the morning, and bade him get ready to be crucified, and led him out of the guest house. And while he still stood upon the step a flock of great grass barnacles passed high above him with clanking cries. He lifted his arms to them and said, O great grass barnacles, tarry a little, and mayhap my soul will travel with you to the waste places of the shore and to the ungovernable sea. At the gate a crowd of beggars gathered about them, being come there to beg from any traveller or pilgrim who might have spent the night in the guest house. The abbot and the friars led the gleeman to a place in the woods at some distance, where many straight young trees were growing, and they made him cut one down and fashion it to the right length, while the beggars stood round them in a ring, talking and gesticulating. The abbot then bade him cut off another and shorter piece of wood, and nail it upon the first. So there was his cross for him, and they put it upon his shoulder for his crucifixion was to be on the top of the hill where the others were. A half-mile on the way he asked them to stop and see him juggle for them, for he knew, he said, all the tricks of Angus the subtle-hearted. The old friars were for pressing on, but the young friars would see him, so he did many wonders for them, even to the drawing of live frogs out of his ears. But after a while they turned on him, and said his tricks were dull and a shade unholy, and set the cross on his shoulders again another half-mile on the way, and he asked them to stop and hear him just for them, for he knew, 
he said, all the jests of Conan the Bald, upon whose back a sheep's wool grew. And the young friars, when they had heard his merry tales, again bade him take up his cross, for it ill became them to listen to such follies. Another half-mile on the way, he asked them to stop and hear him sing the story of white-breasted Deirdre, and how she endured many sorrows, and how the sons of Usna died to serve her. And the young friars were mad to hear him, but when he had ended they grew angry, and beat him for waking forgotten longings in their hearts. So they set the cross upon his back and hurried him to the hill. When he was come to the top, they took the cross from him, and began to dig a hole to stand it in, while the beggars gathered round, and talked among themselves. I ask a favor before I die, says Kumhal. We will grant you no more delays, says the abbot. I ask no more delays, for I have drawn the sword, and told the truth, and lived my vision, and am content. Would you, then, confess? By sun and moon, not I. I ask but to be let eat the food I carry in my wallet. I carry food in my wallet whenever I go upon a journey, but I do not taste of it unless I am well nigh starved. I have not eaten now these two days. You may eat, then, says the abbot, and he turned to help the friars dig the hole. The gleeman took a loaf and some strips of cold fried bacon out of his wallet and laid them upon the ground. I will give a tithe to the poor, says he, and he cut a tenth part from the loaf and the bacon. Who among you is the poorest? And thereupon was a great clamor, for the beggars began the history of their sorrows and their poverty, and their yellow faces swayed like Garalock when the floods have filled it with water from the bogs. He listened for a little, and says he, I am myself the poorest, for I have traveled the bare road, and by the edges of the sea, and the tattered doublet of party-colored cloth upon my back and the torn-pointed shoes upon my feet have ever irked me, because of the towered city full of noble raiment which was in my heart. And I have been the more alone upon the roads and by the sea because I heard in my heart the rustling of the rose-bordered dress of her who is more subtle than Angus, the subtle-hearted, and more full of the beauty of laughter than Conan the Bald, and more full of the wisdom of tears than white-breasted Deirdre, and more lovely than a bursting dawn to them that are lost in the darkness. Therefore I award the tithe to myself, but yet, because I am done with all things, I give it unto you. So he flung the bread and the strips of bacon among the beggars, and they fought with many cries until the last scrap was eaten. But meanwhile the friars nailed the gleeman to his cross, and set it upright in the hole, and shoveled the earth in at the foot, and trampled it level and hard. So then they went away, but the beggars stared on, sitting round the cross. But when the sun was sinking, they also got up to go, for the air was getting chilly. And as soon as they had gone a little way, the wolves— who had been showing themselves on the edge of a neighboring coppice, came nearer, and the birds wheeled closer and closer. Stay, outcast, yet a little while, the crucified one called in a weak voice to the beggars, and keep the beasts and the birds from me. But the beggars were angry because he had called them outcasts, so they threw stones and mud at him, and went their way. Then the wolves gathered at the foot of the cross, and the birds flew lower and lower. And presently the birds lighted all at once upon his head and arms and shoulders, and began to peck at him, and the wolves began to eat his feet. Outcasts, he moaned, have you also turned against the outcast? Out of the rose. One winter evening an old knight in rusted chain armor rode slowly along the woody southern slope of Ben Bulban, watching the sun go down in crimson clouds over the sea. His horse was tired, as after a long journey— 
and he had upon his helmet the crest of no neighboring lord or king, but a small rose made of rubies that glimmered every moment to a deeper crimson. His white hair fell in thin curls upon his shoulders, and its disorder added to the melancholy of his face, which was the face of one of those who have come but seldom into the world, and always for its trouble, the dreamers who must do what they dream, the doers who must dream what they do. After gazing a while towards the sun, he let the reins fall upon the neck of his horse, and stretching out both arms towards the west, he said, O divine rose of intellectual flame, let the gates of thy peace be opened to me at last, and suddenly a loud squealing began in the woods some hundreds of yards further up the mountain side. He stopped his horse to listen, and heard behind him a sound of feet and of voices. They are beating them to make them go into the narrow path by the gorge, said someone, and in another moment a dozen peasants armed with short spears had come up with the knight, and stood a little apart from him, their blue caps in their hands. Where do you go with the spears? he asked, and one who seemed the leader answered, A troop of wood thieves came down from the hills a while ago and carried off the pigs belonging to an old man who lives by Glen Carlock, and we turned out to go after them. Now that we know they are four times more than we are, we follow to find the way they have taken, and will presently tell our story to de Courcy, and if he will not help us, to Fitzgerald, for de Courcy and Fitzgerald have lately made a peace, and we do not know to whom we belong. But by that time, said the knight, the pigs will have been eaten. A dozen men cannot do more, and it was not reasonable that the whole valley should turn out and risk their lives for two, or for two dozen pigs. Can you tell me, said the knight, if the old man to whom the pigs belong is pious and true of heart? He is as true as another and more pious than any, for he says a prayer to a saint every morning before his breakfast. Then it were well to fight in his cause, said the knight, and if you will fight against the wood thieves I will take the main brunt of the battle, and you know well that a man in armor is worth many like these wood thieves, clad in wool and leather. And the leader turned to his fellows and asked if they would take the chance but they seemed anxious to get back to their cabins. Are the wood thieves treacherous and impious? They are treacherous in all their dealings, said a peasant, and no man has known them to pray. Then, said the knight, I will give five crowns for the head of every wood thief killed by us in the fighting, and he bid the leader show the way, and they all went on together. After a time they came to where a beaten track wound into the woods, and taking this, they doubled back upon their previous course and began to ascend the wooded slope of the mountains. In a little while the path grew very straight and steep, and the knight was forced to dismount and leave his horse tied to a tree stem. They knew they were on the right track, for they could see the marks of pointed shoes in the soft clay and mingled with them the cloven footprints of the pigs. Presently the path became still more abrupt, and they knew by the ending of the cloven footprints that the thieves were carrying the pigs. Now and then a long mark in the clay showed that a pig had slipped down and been dragged along for a little way. They had journeyed thus for about twenty minutes, when a confused sound of voices told them that they were coming up with the thieves. And then the voices ceased, and they understood that they had been overheard in their turn. They pressed on rapidly and cautiously, and in about five minutes one of them caught sight of a leather jerkin half hidden by a hazel bush. An arrow struck the knight's chain armor but glanced off harmlessly, and then a flight of arrows swept by them with the buzzing sound of great bees. They ran and climbed, and climbed and ran towards the thieves, who were now all visible standing up among the bushes with their still quivering bows in their hands, 
for they had only their spears and they must at once come hand to hand. The knight was in the front and smote down first one and then another of the wood thieves. The peasants shouted, and pressing on, drove the wood thieves before them until they came out on the flat top of the mountain, and there they saw the two pigs quietly grubbing in the short grass, so they ran about them in a circle, and began to move back again towards the narrow path, the old knight coming now the last of all, and striking down thief after thief. The peasants had got no very serious hurts among them, for he had drawn the brunt of the battle upon himself, as could well be seen from the bloody rents in his armor and when they came to the entrance of the narrow path he bade them drive the pigs down into the valley, while he stood there to guard the way behind them. So in a moment he was alone, and being weak with loss of blood, might have been ended there, and then by the wood thieves he had beaten off, had fear not made them be gone out of sight in a great hurry. An hour passed, and they did not return, and now the knight could stand on guard no longer, but had to lie down upon the grass. A half hour more went by, and then a young lad with what appeared to be a number of cock's feathers stuck round his hat, came out of the path behind him, and began to move about among the dead thieves, cutting their heads off, then he laid the heads in a heap before the knight, and said, O great knight, I have been bid come and ask you for the crowns you promised for the heads, five crowns a head. They bid me tell you that they have prayed to God and his mother to give you a long life, but that they are poor peasants, and that they would have the money before you die. They told me this over and over for fear I might forget it, and promised to beat me if I did. The knight raised himself upon his elbow, and opening a bag that hung to his belt, counted out the five crowns for each head. There were thirty heads in all. O great knight, said the lad, they have also bid me take all care of you, and light a fire, and put this ointment upon your wounds. And he gathered sticks and leaves together, and flashing his flint and steel under a mass of dry leaves, had made a very good blaze. Then, drawing of the coat of mail, he began to anoint the wounds, but he did it clumsily, like one who does by rote what he had been told. The knight motioned him to stop, and said, You seem a good lad. I would ask something of you for myself. There are still a few crowns, said the knight. Shall I give them to you? Oh no, said the lad. They would be no good to me. There is only one thing that I care about doing and I have no need of money to do it. I go from village to village and from hill to hill, and whenever I come across a good cock I steal him and take him into the woods, and I keep him there under a basket until I get another good cock, and then I set them to fight. The people say I am an innocent, and do not do me any harm, and never ask me to do any work but go a message now and then. It is because I am an innocent that they send me to get the crowns, anyone else would steal them and they dare not come back themselves, for now that you are not with them they are afraid of the wood thieves. Did you ever hear how, when the wood thieves are christened, the wolves are made their godfathers, and their right arms are not christened at all? If you will not take these crowns, my good lad, I have nothing for you, I fear, unless you would have that old coat of mail which I shall soon need no more. There was something I wanted, yes, I remember now, said the lad. I want you to tell me why you fought like the champions and giants in the stories and for so little a thing. Are you indeed a man like us? Are you not rather an old wizard who lives among these hills, and will not a wind arise presently and crumble you into dust? I will tell you of myself, replied the knight, for now that I am the last of the fellowship, I may tell all and witness for God. Look at the rows of rubies on my helmet, 
and see the symbol of my life and of my hope. And then he told the lad this story, but with always more frequent pauses. And while he told it, the rose shone a deep blood color in the firelight, and the lad stuck the cock's feathers in the earth in front of him, and moved them about as though he made them actors in the play. I live in a land far from this, and was one of the knights of St. John, said the old man. But I was one of those in the order who always longed for more arduous labors in the service of the Most High. At last there came to us a knight of Palestine, to whom the truth of truths had been revealed by God himself. He had seen a great rose of fire, and a voice out of the rose had told him how men would turn from the light of their own hearts, and bow down before outer order and outer fixity, and that then the light would cease, and none escape the curse except the foolish good man who could not, and the passionate wicked man who would not, think. Already, the voice told him, the wayward light of the heart was shining out upon the world to keep it alive, with a less clear luster, and that, as it paled, a strange infection was touching the stars and the hills and the grass and the trees with corruption, and that none of those who had seen clearly the truth and the ancient way could enter into the kingdom of God, which is in the heart of the rose, if they stayed unwillingly in the corrupted world. And so they must prove their anger against the powers of corruption by dying in the service of the rose of God. While the knight of Palestine was telling us these things we seemed to see in a vision a crimson rose spreading itself about him, so that he seemed to speak out of its heart, and the air was filled with fragrance. By this we knew that it was the very voice of God which spoke to us by the night, and we gathered about him and bade him direct us in all things, and teach us how to obey the voice. So he bound us with an oath, and gave us signs and words whereby we might know each other even after many years, and he appointed places of meeting, and he sent us out in troops into the world to seek good causes, and die in doing battle for them. At first we thought to die more readily by fasting to death in honor of some saint, but this he told us was evil, for we did it for the sake of death, and thus took out of the hands of God the choice of the time and manner of our death, and by so doing made his power the less. We must choose our service for its excellence, and for this alone, and leave it to God to reward us at his own time and in his own manner. And after this he compelled us to eat always two at a table to watch each other lest we fasted unduly, for some among us said that if one fasted for a love of the holiness of saints and then died, the death would be acceptable. And the years passed, and one by one my fellows died in the holy land, or in warring upon the evil princes of the earth, or in clearing the roads of robbers, and among them died the knight of Palestine, and at last I was alone. I fought in every cause where the few contended against the many, and my hair grew white, and a terrible fear lest I had fallen under the displeasure of God came upon me. But hearing at last how this western now was fuller of wars and rapine than any other land, I came hither, and I have found the thing I sought, and behold, I am filled with a great joy. Thereat he began to sing in Latin, and while he sang, his voice grew fainter and fainter. Then his eyes closed, and his lips fell apart, and the lad knew he was dead. He has told me a good tale, he said, for there was fighting in it, but I did not understand much of it, and it is hard to remember so long a story. And taking the knight's sword, he began to dig a grave in the soft clay. He dug hard, and a faint light of dawn had touched his hair, and he had almost done his work when a cock crowed in the valley below. Ah, he said, I must have that bird, and he ran down the narrow path to the valley. The Wisdom of the King
the high queen of the island of woods had died in childbirth, and her child was put to nurse with a woman who lived in a hut of mud and wicker, within the border of the wood. One night the woman sat rocking the cradle, and pondering over the beauty of the child, and praying that the gods might grant him wisdom equal to his beauty. There came a knock at the door, and she got up, not a little wondering, for the nearest neighbors were in the dun of the hiking a mile away, and the night was now late. Who is knocking? she cried, and a thin voice answered open. For I am a crone of the gray hawk, and I come from the darkness of the great wood. In terror she drew back the bolt, and a gray-clad woman, of a great age, and of a height more than human, came in and stood by the head of the cradle. The nurse shrank back against the wall, unable to take her eyes from the woman, for she saw by the gleaming of the firelight that the feathers of the gray hawk were upon her head instead of hair. But the child slept, and the fire danced, for the one was too ignorant and the other too full of gaiety to know what a dreadful being stood there. Open, cried another voice, for I am a crone of the gray hawk, and I watch over his nest in the darkness of the great wood. The nurse opened the door again, though her fingers could scarce hold the bolts for trembling, and another gray woman, not less old than the other, and with like feathers instead of hair, came in and stood by the first. In a little came a third gray woman, and after her a fourth, and then another and another and another, until the hut was full of their immense bodies. They stood a long time in perfect silence and stillness, for they were of those whom the dropping of the sand has never troubled, but at last one muttered in a low thin voice, Sisters, I knew him far away by the redness of his heart under his silver skin, and then another spoke, Sisters, I knew him because his heart fluttered like a bird under a net of silver cords, and then another took up the word, Sisters, I knew him because his heart sang like a bird that is happy in a silver cage. And after that they sang together, those who were nearest rocking the cradle with long wrinkled fingers, and their voices were now tender and caressing, now like the wind blowing in the great wood, and this was their song. When the song had died out, the crone who had first spoken said, We have nothing more to do but to mix a drop of our blood into his blood, and she scratched her arm with the sharp point of a spindle, which she had made the nurse bring to her, and let a drop of blood, gray as the mist, fall upon the lips of the child, and passed out into the darkness. Then the others passed out in silence one by one, and all the while the child had not opened his pink eyelids or the fire ceased to dance, for the one was too ignorant and the other too full of gaiety to know what great beings had bent over the cradle. When the crones were gone, the nurse came to her courage again, and hurried to the dun of the hiking, and cried out in the midst of the assembly hall that 